There was a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 general population in the U.S. from 8 to 80. And they just wanted to see how we are engaging with Scripture. Right. And they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. They weren't even looking for this, and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. Um, When we're in the Scripture one time a week, and that could be church on Sunday. That's pastor saying you open your Bible, we hear the message. One time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'm going to spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week, negligible effect. Now, at three times a week, there was a blip on the map. Like, there was a heartbeat. Something happened. Again, a heartbeat. But here was the profound discovery. When we're in the Scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. You would expect that it would be one, two, three. I mean, there would be a gradual incline on the effect and impact that would have in your life. But it was literally one, two, three, four. Something radically happens. Okay, you got my curiosity. To this what, extent. What kind of behavior is being affected? Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow. Ang- four times a week in the four Bible. Four times a week in the Bible. Okay. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops Crazy. 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time are you spending in Scripture? If they're in the Scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's very important. Now, on a flip positive side, sharing your faith jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. That's, that's amazing right there. That's really profound. Yeah. Turn to the book of Micah. We're going to start there. It's in the Old Testament. Kind of towards the back of the Old Testament. It's hard for me to describe how to get there. If, um, if you're new to the Bible, you know, look it up in the front or on the... If you've got a Bible app, um, if you would go to Micah, we're going to be in chapter 6 this morning. I don't know if how many of you were here last week. Jordan and I talked about spiritual drift, and um, he's up with, I think, the youth right now. But just give my thanks and kudos again to him for doing that with me. I enjoy any time we teach together. And he really brought a lot to the table on that. He had a lot to contribute. And when we talked, our focus on Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, a really profound scripture that was the core of what we talked about last week. And here's what the author of Hebrews wrote to those people reading his book. He said, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. So that we do not drift away. And so we talked about spiritual drift. We talked about the reality of it. We all experience it, right? The reality. We talked about the reasons we drift, the results. We talked about the red warning lights that go off to tell you that you're starting to drift. We also talked about like resolution. What do you do if you find yourself drifting spiritually? And when we talked about that, what we said was is that the opposite of drift was intentionality. That frequently when I'm drifting, it's because I've lost my intentionality in my spiritual life. So the opposite is intentionality. But not just intentionality. It's intentionality um, in a very practical way. It's, it's intentionality with practices, that there are things that I have to do to cultivate um, 
And so the, the opposite of spiritual drift is actually intentional engagement. Intentional engagement. That's why this series we're calling Engage um, that we're going to be doing. And we're going to look at to us what are the five core principles, the five, not the five core practices that if I, will, if I will engage in these things are the things most likely to keep me away from drift. And so this series, we're pretty excited about it. It's not just the five practices that will keep me from drift. It's the five core things that I think if you follow Jesus should naturally flow out of your life. They're just things that we should do if we're walking with Him. So this morning, I want to begin with the first of those five practices. And this one is the most foundational. It's the most important. Um, I'm going to come back to this at the end, but it's the one that underlies all of the other practices. So if you're in Micah chapter 6. Um, some of you may have taken that whole time to get there, so I wanted to give you time. But if you're in Micah 6, I want you to read with me, starting in verse 6. If you would stand, I'm going to read the Scripture. Um, I'm reading from the NIV, the Bible that we use um, here. And I will be reading again in verse 6 with some really profound questions the author asks. And he asks this, What shall I come before the Lord? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then he says this, he has shown you, O mortal, the King James, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So what's God want most? What's He want most from us? He wants justice, He wants mercy, and He wants me to walk humbly with Him. And that word, that metaphor of walking with God is really common in the Bible, um, if some of us are, have been doing some Old Testament reading this year and have been in the book of Genesis, and in Genesis you see it multiple times, it talks about the fact that Enoch walked with God, that Noah walked with God, that Abraham walked with God. But a question I ask, because uh, you know, I didn't grow up with a lot of this spiritual language, you know, what does it really mean to walk with God? What's it mean? And I want to try to, I want to try to fill that concept out for you. Um, let me explain it this week. Last week, Mel who was on base this morning, he said to me, he said, Garen, we need to go hiking again. He and I go every now and then out to the Prairie Preserve and we hike. Hike is another word for walk. So like, we need to go walking out there again. And when we do that, part of what he was saying is, we just need to get out and see the Flint Hills because they're so amazingly beautiful, right? Just get out in that open sky. And we need to, uh, to, to enjoy some clean air and we need to see some bison and we need to run into another rattlesnake like we did a couple of summers ago. Uh, which he didn't enjoy. It was not quite such a big deal to me, but he grew up with mambas in Ghana, so snakes are really scary for them. Um, so when he says, let's take, a, let's take a hike or let's take a walk, what he was really saying, the most important thing is he's saying, let's hang out. Let's spend time together, right? Let's relate to each other. And that's, that's what it means to walk with someone is to relate with them. It's to enjoy fellowship. That's really what he was getting at. And that's why I like the way the Good News Translation puts this verse, because it says it this way, live in humble fellowship with God. Live in humble fellowship with God. So our first practice of engagement, 
to not drift. And the most foundational of them all is, is to walk with God. It's to relate with Him. It's to enjoy Him. It's to fellowship with Him. It is to grow in my relationship with Him. And so grow is the first of our five practices. They all going to start with a G, um, and the first one is grow. In the words of Jesus, it is to, in Matthew 22, 37 to 38, it is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And then to which he adds, that is the first, and that's the greatest command, is to love him. So that's what this walking with God is talking about. And the text says I do this humbly. Humbly. I think that's important. Because by his grace, he's invited me into a relationship with himself. Purely by his grace. He's also told me that in that relationship, he calls me his friend, which is so profound. But even though I'm his friend and I've been in by that relationship, it's, it's not a buddy-buddy kind of thing, right? I am his friend, but he's still the sovereign king of the universe. So in that relationship with him, I still, it needs humility still. I come reverently. I come attentively to him. I come obediently, intending whatever he wants to say to me that I will obey. So we come with, with humility. I mean, I think all of you know, we talked about this last week at Drift, but that ongoing walk with God, that is not easy, right? The ongoing walk, because that's what this implies. Walking is an ongoing activity. Drift happens. There's another saying out there, I won't say, that, that's similar. We should like, create a meme, drift happens. I mean, we know that. We talked about it last week. We all feel that. English Puritan John Flavel said this, the greatest difficulty in conversion is to win the heart to God. The greatest difficulty after conversion is to keep the heart with God, with God. Do you not feel that? you not feel that? So this morning, I want to talk about relationship. How do you grow in a relationship, in any relationship? How do you grow in a relationship? Or if I were to put it another way, in light of last week, how do you prevent drift from happening in a relationship, any relationship? How do you prevent drift from happening? Well, I think you would agree, you have to cultivate it, you have to nurture it. You have to foster the relationship. Or the word I want to use this morning that is most helpful for me in understanding what it means to walk with God is the word tend, tending or tend. Um, tell me, what are some things in English when we talk about tending, what are some things that we tend? I want to hear a few. What are some things we tend? Yeah, tend the ground, tend a farm, tend a garden, okay. What else? Yeah, you tend your children. Shepherds tend sheep, right? You tend a fire. Um, you tend the sick or you tend a wound. So here's what tend is, because I think this understanding tend is really significant. To tend is, it's to value and to give a heightened level of priority. It's to care about and to care for. It's to give our time and attention. It's to guard and protect. It is to invest in. And all of that requires intentionality. It requires choices and it requires action, or in other words, it requires practices. And anytime we tend to anything, it requires regularity. Is that not right? Regularity. If, if you ever have a wound, you don't just tend to it one time, right? You tend to it regularly till it heals. When I broke my vertebrae early this summer, um, they gave me things to do that would help me to tend to it. Um, one of them being at the last appointment, you know, first they gave me a weight limit I could lift, which about killed me because uh, it was like a gallon of milk. And then they upped it a little bit 
when they upped it last time, it was just a little more heavy than lifting our grandchildren, just barely, uh, in my interpretation. I'm not sure if my doctor would agree with that. But you tend to something over time, right? Or a garden. Somebody mentioned the ground or the garden. When you tend to garden, um, it's the same thing. You, you don't just weed and water one time. You've got to keep doing that. It requires regularity. Um, if you don't, if you're not regular, if you just binge Netflix every evening when you should be out gardening in the cool of the night, your garden's going to get overrun and, and die, right? So it requires regularity. And so when we think of tending, I really want to focus on the garden. So whoever said that, that's, that's great. Think about tending a garden. What are the practices of tending a garden? Um, you till it ahead of time. You fertilize it. Um, you plant. For me, when you do black-eyed peas, you do the initial planting, and then you thin them out after a few weeks. Um, you do a lot of watching. Watching for insects. Watching for rabbits. Right? Rabbits are the enemy of a garden, truly. Um, you know that story, Peter Rabbit? When I was a kid, I thought the rabbit, Peter, I thought he was the hero of the story. I found out when I was an adult that the hero of the story is Mr. McGregor. It's the farmer who's keeping him out. So you have to watch for things. And if you see rabbits, you have to trap. I've had to do that before. And then out of kindness and a follower of Jesus, you take it far, far away to another galaxy to release it. You know, you take it across the river so it won't come back, hoping it doesn't cross the same road you just took it on. And a lot of this is ongoing when you're tending a garden. It's regular weeding. Um, it's daily watering. And again, all of this flows out. Tending is to care about and to care for. That's kind of what's behind all of it. And it's the same way with a relationship, right? I mean, we know that. Relationships require tending. So how do you tend a relationship how do you cultivate it, nourish, and foster it so that it flourishes? What's that require? I'd say two things. Number one, you have to create space in your life so you can engage the person. Create space to engage the person. Um, when Pat and I started getting interested in each other and started dating, we were both really busy. Full-time school, work, so it was hard for us to find space, right, time. And there was one evening that we had open, both had open, and it was Monday night. Now, for the guys that are here, probably something automatically popped your mind. There's a really important thing guys like to do, I mean other people, but on Monday night, right? And that's Monday night football. It was pretty important to me. And so, since I was interested in Pat, uh, you know what I did. I chose Monday night football over her. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was willing to sacrifice Monday night football to spend time with her. Sometimes she would watch it with me in the student center, but I was willing to give that up because I was trying to create space in my life so that I can engage her. And then in a relationship, how do you engage somebody? I mean, you give them your time, right? You give them your attention. You give them yourself. You talk. You listen. You have conversation. Um, you play. You give. Um, you care about them. And so it's that way, you know, in, you know, in that dating relationship, you're doing these things that cultivate the relationship. So I want you to know it's the same with God. It is no different with God, no different. You have to create space in your life so that you can engage Him. You have to create space of silence and solitude, Sabbath, to create the space so that then you can encounter Him in other places. And I want to tell you, when you're part of this creating space for Him, Part of that is actually saying no to and pushing things out of your life that cause you to drift, that can become the focal point of your life, because it's so easy to do. 
And you do all of that. You create that space so you can engage him, so you can walk with him, so you can encounter him, so you can fellowship with him. That's the whole point. On a daily basis, I'm meeting with him through word, through prayer, through personal worship. On a daily basis. And I want you to know, this is the way of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. Um, We're going to see with all of these practices that Jesus is our model in them. In Luke 5.16, It says a very profound thing. It says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often. This was a priority for him. He needed time alone with his father. He needed to encounter and fellowship with the father. And if he needed it, do you think I need it? Most definitely. So he shows us the way. He shows us the way. But I want to say something that I think sometimes I, early in my Christian life, I got confused. I frequently confuse the practices for the relationship. And I want to tell you that in all of this, there is intentionality, there are practices, but it's about the relationship. It's not about the practices, okay? The practices are not the point. They are not the end game. That's not what I'm shooting for. They are simply stepping stones for me to get to the cultivation of the relationship. And I want to illustrate this two ways. Uh, First, let's say I'm going to take a pat on a date to Wichita for a weekend. And back when we had kids. I had to do some things to make that work, right? I had to find a babysitter, do a lot of calling of the people that we knew and trusted. Would they watch the kids? And once I got that set up, uh, we didn't have Airbnb back then, but just go with me. I had to, you get on Airbnb and you're doing searching. What fits our budget and what's in the best location in Wichita and fits kind of what we need and would be kind of a romantic place, right? And then if I want to take her to a special restaurant, it's calling ahead and it's setting up, you know, reserving a space at a certain time. And I've got to get gas and I've got to, Uh, you've got to pack and you've got to drive and all of that stuff. So imagine I went on a date, spent a weekend with Pat, and I came back. And John said, hey, how was your time with Pat? And I said, John, I want to tell you that the weekend was so amazing. If you knew how much time I spent on Airbnb to set that up, like that was a lot of work. And even I had to wait on the phone for an hour to be able to set up that reservation. But I stuck to it and I did it, John. And I drove so carefully. I mean, I never put gas in a car like I put gas in that time, right? And to find those babysitters, that took a lot of work. And if, I, if that's my answer to how was your weekend with Pat, he would say, are you kidding me? That's not my question. My question is, how was your weekend with Pat? Because those things weren't what it's about, right? All those things did is they get me to the point that I could engage her in a relationship. You don't focus on the practices. You focus on the relationship, right? But it's easy to focus on the practices, Let me illustrate it another way. Let me go back to gardening. Um, When I was a child, we had a garden, a pretty big one. And I hated gardening as a child. Because for me, it was primarily pulling weeds for the kids, right? My mom was not going to trust us with most of what entailed in gardening, but the pulling of weeds she entrusted us with. And I hated it. Um, And do you want to know, I've been thinking in a conversation with this week, I was talking to somebody. Do you know why I hated it? So I thought back. It's because I wasn't tending the garden like my mother was. And that's why I hated it. For me, it was just a task. It was just a chore I had to get done before I could go play with my friends, which is what I really wanted to do. Does that make sense? It was a box I had to check off, and once I did it, then I could go to the vacant lot of my friends and play baseball all afternoon. That's all pulling weeds from me. It was an interruption that I had to get through as quickly as possible to get to my real life and what really mattered to me. And because of that, when I weeded, it was half-hearted, and I did it quick, and I probably didn't do it near as well as my mother would have wanted me. 
But my mom, on the other hand, enjoyed gardening. And as an adult, I actually, as weird as this is, I don't know about where you guys are with this, but as weird as this is, I actually came to love gardening too. Not the weeding, I still don't like that, but I came to love gardening. And the reason my mother loved it, I think, is she, there was something to her that was more important to me, and that was that she was tending the garden. She cared for it, and she cared about it in a way that I didn't. And, and she did that because there was something even more important to her. There was an end in her mind in the tending, and that was the harvest, right? She had an end in mind. As I've come to garden, there's even a better end in mind for me. And here's what the better end is for me. It's sitting around the table with my family. One evening after the first harvest, enjoying good conversation and good food, right? Ham, corn. No, forget the corn, because that's how it comes out of a can. Uh, We're not good at corn. (laughs) Ham, homemade mac and cheese, fried okra that came out of the garden that day, right? Not just fried, but when Pat would stew some of it. You ever had stewed okra where it's slimy and you just put it in your mouth and it just slides down your throat? It is so good. Most people hate slimy okra. In our family, only two of us, Ariel and I, love it that way. But not only, I mean, so not only the fried okra, the fried okra, but then the black-eyed peas fresh out of the garden that we cooked with bacon and all that on the plate and sitting around with family. To me, that was why I tended a garden, was for that moment. Does that make sense? That was the end game for me. That's what gave my mom joy. That's what gave me joy in gardening. And it's the same with God. The spiritual practices are not the point. They're not the point. They're not the end game. We don't do them for their own sake. They're not just boxes that I check off in my spiritual life to get to what's important, right? They're not brownie points that earn me approval with God. That's not the point of them. You've got to have something bigger in mind, and it's spending time with God in relationship, wanting to fellowship with Him, to engage Him and to encounter Him. And when you do that, I think all of us have experienced this, that when you do that, when you are tending that relationship and you're encountering him, when you're fellowshipping and connecting, here's what you'll find that flows out of that. Real life. Real life. That's why Jesus said, in John 10.10, he says, I've come to give life and life in all of its fullness. I came to give you real life. And if I'll connect with him, that's what I'll get from that. Um, Let me illustrate it this way. I almost had a lamp up here and an extension cord that I would have had plugged in, and I would turn it on, and you'd be like, look, what comes out of the lamp? But light, right? There's light coming out of that. And, but the question is, is, is that lamp inside of the light? I mean, is that light really inside the lamp? Does that lamp have the, the ability and the power to generate that light by itself? And the answer is no. It has to be connected to that socket, and that socket goes out to some lines that, who knows, go to Wolf Creek Power Plant. Because that's the source of all the energy and the power that lights up that lamp. So as long as it is connected to the source, to the outlet, to the source of power, it lights up. But once I disconnect it from the source, what happens to the light in the lamp? If it goes away, because it's been disconnected from the source. And so I want to stay connected with God because in Him, He's the one where I find real life that can flow out of me. 
So earlier I said this practice of walking God, of growing in him, it's foundational. The other four we're going to talk about. And here's why. And i got to give credit to Lisa Hubner. Just heard it this last Monday from her. Our soul is like a reservoir, like Chase County Fishing Lake. And I hope a few in here don't have post-traumatic stress disorder from that because there was a camping trip that happened this weekend with a big storm. But it's a reservoir. And if I'm filled with him and his life, then that will spill over into every other part of my life. It, it like functions as a spillway. That's the spillway at Chase County Lake. I really love that one. Is, as long as that lake, when it gets full, there's water in the spillway. But if it gets dry and gets low, there's no water in the spillway. And the only way that I can give real life, that real life can come out of, I can't give it, but it can flow out of me, true, deep life into other people, is if I'm connected to God and his life is in me and it's overflowing in my life. So, practice one of engagement of this series is growing. It is walking with God. It is fellowshipping with Him. It is tending to our relationship with Him. And I want to tell you, when I read Micah 6.8, I don't think God's just saying, hey, this is kind of optional. But His question is, is, what do you require of us? And God says, here's what I want from you. I want justice, and I want mercy, and I want you to walk with me, humbly, ongoing, have fellowship with me. That's what he requires, and that's what he asks. You know, I think we all know, I know we do, we all know when I'm nurturing a relationship and when I'm ignoring it, and I'm allowing it to flander. We all know that. I mean, if, especially if you're married, I think you know that. I mean, if you're dating, it's any relationship, but especially some of those. You can tell when I'm intentionally nurturing it and when I'm just letting it kind of hang out there, Right? And I think we know that about God. I know we do. We know when we're nurturing that relationship. And we know when we're kind of ignoring it and allowing it to go stale and stagnant. And so I want to ask a few questions. Because we're going to be heading into a time of communion soon. And Paul says when we come to communion that we should examine ourselves first. And so these are some questions for us to examine ourselves before we come to communion. So when we speak of tending, we tend to garden. So I'm curious, how is the garden of your soul? Today as you sit here, how is the garden of your soul? We tend to relationship. So I want to know, how's your relationship with God? Are you walking with Him? Are you fellowshipping with Him intentionally on a daily basis? And we tend to fire. So how's that fire in your heart? Is it burning white hot? Is it burning bright? Is it dying out, going out? Does it need to be rekindled? Just where are you right now with God? And I think most importantly, are you taking daily time to connect with Him and to fellowship with Him through word and prayer and personal worship? Not just I'm doing it as a checkbox, like I pulled weeds, get it done so I can move on, but I'm coming to it. I'm like, I want, Lord, to meet you today here. Can you speak to me? know you, want to encounter you. Does that make sense? How many of you are doing that? I want you to, would you bow your heads for a minute? And I'm just curious, how is God speaking to you this morning? How is he challenging you? How is the garden of your soul? How is your relationship with God? You're tending that fire. 
before we get into communion, I just want you to take a minute and prayerfully to think and reflect on that before him. Have a conversation with him about where your relationship is right now. So let me just talk to you for a minute. If, if, you've, if you're here this morning, you're like, I've neglected the relationship. I'm not intentionally engaging in practices that help me encounter him. My, I'm challenging today to recommit to that. To recommit to that. Because God is inviting you into relationship with himself. He's asking you, longing for you to walk with him, to fellowship with him, to intentionally spend time because he's the lover of your soul. Okay, you can look up. I want to read you something. First service didn't get this. You guys are special. I want you to know that. You're special. There's a booklet I love called My Heart, Christ's Home. And in it, like God's walking with him through rooms in his heart. And my favorite is the living room. We moved next to the living room. This was a quiet, comfortable room with a warm atmosphere. I liked it. It had a fireplace, a sofa, overstuffed chairs, a bookcase, an intimate atmosphere. He also seemed pleased with it. And he said, so this is the Lord, okay? He said, indeed, this is a delightful room. Let's come here often. It's secluded. It's quiet. We can have good talks and fellowship together. Well, naturally, as a young Christian, I was thrilled. I couldn't think of anything I would rather do than have a few minutes alone with Christ in close companionship. And he promised me, I'll be here every morning, early. Meet me here, and we'll start the day together. So morning after morning, I would go downstairs to the living room. He would take a book of the Bible from the bookcase. He would open it. We would read it together. He would unfold to me the wonder of God's saving truth recorded on his pages and make my heart sing as he shared all he had done for me and would be to me. Those times together were wonderful. Through the Bible and his Holy Spirit, he would talk to me. In prayer, I would respond. So our friendship deepened in those quiet times of personal conversation. However, under the pressure of many responsibilities, little by little, this time began to be shortened why I'm not sure somehow I assumed it was just I was just too busy to give special regular time to be with Christ this was not a deliberate decision you understand it just seemed to happen that way drift eventually not only was the period shortened but I began to miss days now and then such as during midterms or finals matters of urgency demanding my attention were continually crowding out the quiet times of conversation with Jesus often I would miss it two days in a row or more one morning, I recall rushing down the steps in a hurry to be on my way to an important appointment. And as I passed the living room, the door was open. Glancing in, I saw a fire in the fireplace and Jesus sitting there. Suddenly in dismay, it came to me. He's my guest. I invited him into my heart. He's come as my savior and friend to live with me. Yet here I am neglecting him. I stopped, turned, and hesitantly went in. With downclass glance, I said, glance, I said, Master, I'm sorry. Have you been here every morning? Yes, he said, I told you I'd be here to meet with you. I was even more ashamed. He had been 
faithful in spite of my faithlessness. I asked him to forgive me, and he did, as always he does when we acknowledge our failures and want to do the right thing. He said, the trouble is you've been thinking of the quiet time of Bible study and prayer as a means for your own spiritual growth. This is true, but you have forgotten that this time means something to me also. Remember, I love you. I value your fellowship. Just to have you look up into my face warms my heart. Don't neglect this hour, if only for my sake. Whether or not you want to be with me, remember, I want to be with you. I really love you. I really love you. That's what he desires, is that I walk with him, I fellowship with him. So we come to this time of communion. And I was just like thinking, how does, like, how do, how does this connect to what we're talking about today? And this idea of engaging to me is so significant right now. Because the truth is, in my sin, I was totally disengaged from God. I had wandered away. I was his enemy. I did not care. And even though I was unengaged from him and uninterested in being engaged to him, with him, what did he do? He chose to engage me. He sought me out. He pursued me through Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, gave his life, gave everything so that I could have a relationship with him. So this morning, when we come to the table together, what we're coming to the table is a God who chose to engage me, whether or not I engage him unconditionally, and that's profound. So that's the attitude I want us to come. So um, as we come to the table, if you don't belong to 12 somewhere else, but if you follow Jesus, you're welcome to this table with us. Um, anybody can come. We're going to have you come up to the tables. If my servers will actually get up, you'll come up and receive the communion there. And we're going to, if you need a gluten-free option, it's in the back. That's not only gluten-free. Anybody can go back to the back one, but we just invite you to, uh, to come up to the table. If you're a family, we would love for you to take it together if you feel like it. And so let me pray, and then we want to come to our time of, of communion together. So, Father, thank you for the invitation to relationship. Thank you that you paid everything, everything for us so that we can have that. And it's so easy for us to forget the business of life, so help us to recommit ourselves to walking with you. Thank you for Jesus and his blood and everything that you shed, Lord, to have me as your friend. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as you feel ready, um, just make your way to a table and you can receive communion there.
you stand with me? We're going to pray together a closing prayer. And then we're going to end with worship. You would pray this with me. Spirit of the living God, be the gardener of my soul. For so long I've been waiting, silent and still, experiencing a winter of the soul. But now, in the strong name of Jesus Christ, I dare ask, clear away the dead growth of the past. Break up the hard clods of custom and routine. Stir in the rich compost of vision and challenge. Bury deep in my soul the implanted word. Cultivate and water and tend my heart until new life buds and opens and flowers. And pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Let's worship together. No, you. There is no grace. 
Amen. I mean, we all want to walk with God. I think that's our heart's desire, right? So let's just make that commitment to do that. On your chair are some postcards. We want to challenge you or they're there for you to take home, stick it in your Bible during the series. It's just a reminder of the, the five practices we're going to talk about and a reminder to, to be engaged, to be engaged with God so that we are less likely to drift, right? Because none of us wants to do that. So just encourage you to take that. Really encourage you to try it like, I want to be here for these, these, these five things. I want to know what they are, and I want to really work on those things. So that's just a challenge. So 12th, may we be a people who are engaged, engaged with God, engaged in community, that we're engaged, that we're not people who are drifting and growing stagnant, but that we're engaged. That specifically that we're people who walk with God, that we're growing in that relationship intentionally, doing things to tend it because we care for it, we care about it. So let us be. Maybe a lot of other churches are going towards drift, COVID and post-COVID, but we want to be a place that's engaged with God. Can we say amen to that? I mean, can we say like, yeah, amen, I'm in with that? Yeah, that's the kind of people we want to be. So Father, make us that kind of people, people who walk with you um, just through the ups and downs of life, and you know our nature, you know that we're going to have those seasons of drift, but that we'll always come back to that North Star and just engage with you. Um, so we just want to be that kind of church, and we can only do that through your spirit. And so we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, 12th, you are sent.